Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. A huge wage theft case settled in New York involving Uber and Lyft. Meanwhile, striking casino workers in Detroit marched to the state capitol. And today, on the show, the Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades, and it's our first Friday with Fred. Fred Redman, Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. Welcome to the Friday, November 3rd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Dorsey Hager will be our first guest on the show today, longtime supporter of America's Workforce, where he serves as Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, columbusconstruction.org. We'll get an update on what's happening in construction in Central Ohio, and that has been a whole lot, a whole lot. And we'll touch on the uh, Intel plant which we referenced on the show yesterday with Senator Sherrod Brown. That was our surprise guest. And apparently they're trying to make sure that there's no delays in that project because we need to make chips in America. And Dorsey will speak to that. We're also going to talk about the resurgence of labor unions. I love this topic. New poll by the AFL-CIO shows that 7 in 10, 71%, of the people polled approve of labor unions, and that includes 91% of Democrats, 69% of independents, and a majority of Republicans, 52%. 75% or three out of four support workers going on strike to fight for better wages, benefits, and working conditions. And boy, did we see the strikes this year. And did we see good results from those strikes? We'll talk about that as well. And, of course, we got Election Day next Tuesday. And uh, Dorsey always plays politics because we always say in the show, elections matter. You get the right people in office and good things happen. No doubt about that. Fred Redman will be joining us later in the show. This is our first Friday with Fred. Fred, longtime steelworker, always a steelworker. And now the Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, AFL-CIO. Org, the national website. If you go to the home page, they're going to ask you to uh, sign on to their campaign. No cuts to family supporting programs. Will you urge Congress to say no to extreme budget cuts that could hurt our families? And I'll tell you, in the House, they finally got the speaker there, and it's cut, cut, cut. They, uh, they voted this week on an appropriations bill that would cut Amtrak funding by more than 60% and also block federal support for the California high-speed rail program. The Amtrak cut would be like a billion dollars and it would jeopardize 10,000 jobs, 10,000 jobs. And then there's support for Israel. <laughs> this is absolutely crazy. What they want to do yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll come up with the $14 billion, but they want to take it out of the IRS budget. And uh, in the Inflation Reduction Act, there was money set aside to 
audit high-income taxpayers, those making over $400,000 a year. And it's been very successful. They're, they're bringing in more money. In fact, for each dollar spent auditing the top 1% of U.S. earners, the IRS brought in $3.18. For each dollar spent auditing the top 0.1%, it's almost double that, $6.29. So that's an income generator. In September alone, the IRS noted that it recovered $38 million in delinquent taxes from 175 high-income taxpayers within a few months, and they would be increasing their effort. Well, apparently, some in Congress don't like that because you have to understand something. These uh, so-called high-income earners are also donors to political campaigns. Uh, let's see. There's a couple of other cuts here. Um, as far as the Inflation Reduction Act, they want to cut $103 billion and cause the immediate stoppage of infrastructure projects that help local communities. Now, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Drastically reduce funds to programs that tackle poverty. 80%, cut 80% of programs that impact 26 million low-income students, slashing 226,000 teacher positions. We have a teacher shortage right now. Why would you want to do that? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Fred is going to talk about that more. I'm sure he's going to talk about the labor wins as well with the Teamsters and the auto workers. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Waterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwaterson.com. Uber and Lyft have agreed to pay a combined $328 million to settle allegations the ride-sharing companies unlawfully withheld wages from drivers and failed to provide mandatory paid sick leave in the state of New York. This comes from the Attorney General there, Letitia James. Uber will pay $290 million. Lyft will pay $38 million. And the AG's office says this is the largest wage theft settlement ever in New York State history. The money will go to drivers affected by the company's alleged practices, and I'll get to that in a minute. More than 100,000 drivers in New York could be eligible to receive the funds and benefits under the agreements. James' office said for years, these two companies systemically cheated their drivers out of hundreds of millions of dollars in pay and benefits while they work long hours in challenging conditions. This settlement will ensure they finally get what they have rightfully earned and are owed under law. My office will continue to make sure that companies operating in the so-called gig economy do not deprive workers of their rights or undermine the laws meant to protect them. That's why we have laws, right? The settlements, which involve multi-year investigations, reflect the company's latest concessions in a standoff with regulators all around the country about the level of oversight they should receive and what they owe their drivers. Uber and Lyft have previously fought efforts to reclassify their workers from contractors to employees. They've been fighting that tooth and nail. There was a big case in uh, California on that, which is still under review. 
Uber's settlement represents more than 3% of the revenue they generated last quarter. You know how much that is? $9.23 billion in one quarter. The companies also agreed to ongoing changes in how they pay their drivers and offer benefits in New York. Now listen to this. The AG's office alleged the companies incorrectly deducted charges from drivers' wages that should have been charged to passengers. So the passengers were getting a better rate at the expense of the drivers. Also, both companies failed to provide paid sick leave as required under state and New York City law. Under the agreements, Uber and Lyft will be required to give drivers outside of New York City a guaranteed earning minimum of $26 per hour, which will be adjusted each year for inflation. Drivers also will get guaranteed paid sick leave in New York State for every 30 hours worked They'll be able to earn one hour of sick pay up to 56 hours per year. Both companies will make updates so drivers can request sick leave through the apps, according to uh, the New York State Attorney General's office. So a big win for Uber and Lyft drivers in the state of New York. Total of $328 million. In the meantime, more than 300 striking Detroit casino workers traveled to Lansing, Michigan this week to speak with state leaders at Michigan State Capitol about the strike and other important legislation impacting all working people in Michigan. Casino workers who are members of the Detroit Casino Council, we're talking five unions working in coalition, they launched a citywide casino strike affecting MGM Grand Detroit, Motor City Casino, and Hollywood Casino at Greektown. Detroit casino workers were forced into the picket line to protect their health care and win decent raises, fair workloads, and more job security. The strike affects 3,700 casino employees across a broad range of classifications. We're talking dealers, cleaning staff, food and beverage workers, valets, engineers, and more. The workers are appealing to Michigan leaders to join them on the picket line and allow Detroit to raise its minimum wage by repealing what they call the Death Star Bill, that's Senate Bill 171, which would repeal preemptions on local government control of labor and workforce policies. That bill was passed by members of the Senate Labor Committee in September. Now, going back to September of 2020, the workers agreed to a three-year contract extension with minimal wage increases to help the industry recover from COVID. Well, since then, Detroit casino workers have received only raises of 3%, but inflation in Detroit, well, it's 20% right now. In contrast, Industry gaming revenues have now surpassed pre-pandemic levels to reach a new record high. In fact, last year, 2022, the Detroit casino industry generated $2.27 billion in gaming revenue, and they are on track for another record-breaking year this year. Terry Smith is a table games dealer. 
at the Hollywood Casino at Greektown. Terry said, we're asking Michigan leaders to join us on the picket line. Why? Because the wages we receive absolutely do not keep up with the rising cost of living. We're out here fighting for our families and for more good jobs in Michigan. Alicia Weaver is a 24-year guest room attendant at the MGM Grand Detroit. She's a member of Unite Here Local 24. Alicia said, we're on strike to maintain our health care and to have a livable wage. There's no reason for anybody to be working in these casinos and be homeless. Our employers are making record profits. We want to maintain our health care and improve our wages so they can keep up with the rising cost of living. So we'll see if any of the uh, community leaders show up at that strike, which has been going on for a couple of weeks now. All right, quick break. When we come back, Dorsey Hager on behalf of the Columbus Central Ohio Building Trades. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at Teamster.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ULAgency.org is their website. You know, I was talking about that wage theft case in uh, New York State with Uber and Lyft. 
Recent crackdowns on wage theft have seen Boston Market being slapped with over $2.5 million in fines for allegedly withholding $607,000 from employees in New Jersey and New York City. Also, Envy Nails, which is based in uh, New York City, has been ordered to pay $300,000 due to allegations of employee misclassification and wage theft. And the New York City Department of Commerce and Worker Protection has reached a settlement with three major restaurant chains, Panda Express, Aubon Payne, and 7-Elevens Raise the Roost. This is in a bid to uphold the city's fair workweek law. These establishments will collectively pay $4.5 million in restitution to 2,400 impacted workers and bear an additional $417,000 in civil penalties. It's so important that you take a very close look at your paycheck to see if you aren't getting screwed by their by their employer that you're working with currently because it's happening all over America. All right, let's go to uh, Central Ohio right now and join Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. And uh, we got a lot of things to talk about. First and foremost, a lot of things going on in Central Ohio. Number one project is the Intel project. And uh, Dorsey, we had Sherrod Brown on the show yesterday. And uh, apparently there's a few bumps in the road, which uh, which may delay things. But in a way, it might be good because you can ramp up the workforce even more. Can you explain what's going on? Go ahead. Yeah, so first to speak to Sherrod Brown, you know, our senator who fights for working people every day. I can remember from day one when we were heading towards the big announcement of Intel and Sherrod stood up and, and, and grabbed the mic and said, hey, if we're going to use federal dollars, if we're going to use chips money, if we're going to use infrastructure fund, you know, not only are these jobs going to pay federal Davis-Bacon and prevailing wage, but I'm going to urge and encourage the contractor who builds it, which is Bechtel, uh, to enter into a project labor agreement, which they've done. So, you know, just to recap things that we've talked about on the show, and then I'll, I'll get to the point here, you know, the first phase of the Intel project is two fabs, which is basically two factories that produce chips. Uh, the total cost is going to be right around $20 billion. Um, we have folks out there right now doing underground, doing utilities. Uh, we've built two batch plants out there on site, so we're not bringing concrete in from off-site. Uh, they're actually producing concrete on site and using it to pour the foundations and the walls uh, for what are going to be the future fabs. Um, I was actually just out there yesterday uh, meeting with Bechtel, getting some updates on the project. And, you know, it does appear uh, that we're not up to scale in the amount of manpower that was originally scheduled. Um, Intel is incredibly happy with the progress. They're happy with Bechtel. They're very happy with everything that the Columbus Building Trades and our member unions are doing when it comes to terms for advocating for women and people of color. You know, our award-winning Building Futures program is obviously scaling up to produce more people, not just for Intel, but the other $140 billion worth of work that we have in the city and in Central Ohio. Um, they're incredibly ecstatic about everything that we're doing. The individual local unions for recruitment, uh, for organizing, for bringing folks into our ranks, you know, 
some of the stats that I regularly give is when I took this job 10 years ago, the IBW had a little over 900 members. There are over 2,600 members now, so they've almost tripled in just 10 years. Uh, plumbers and pipe fitters, Local 189, have quadrupled their training facility. They went from a little over 10,000 square feet to over 44,000 square feet, their brand-new state-of-the-art training facility that they're using uh, to make sure that they can continue to grow and increase membership so that they can man, like I said, not only the Intel job, but also the other jobs that are happening. Um, Iron Workers 172 built a new training center. Uh, the day that they opened their new training center, they broke ground on another training center to double the size of their training center. They're obviously growing and increasing their apprenticeship ranks. The roofers have uh, acquired a new training center. Sheet metal workers have acquired a new training center. Uh, and everybody's looking to add additional stats, whether it's agents, reps, or organizers, or training directors to make sure that we're getting out, we're doing outreach, we're bringing people on, we're getting people in the ranks to man this. But, um, you know, I look at it as a blessing uh, that, that the pace has slowed down a little bit. I look for it to really ramp up uh, when some more of the CHIPS funding starts, starts hitting the ground, which will probably be quarter two or quarter three of next year. But... Um, I anticipate this time next year when we're speaking, we're going to have close to 6,000 people out there just directly working for Bechtel, building the fabs and stuff. And I would say we'll have another 4,000 people, you know, on the office building, the wastewater treatment plant, the ancillary work, the roads, the bridges, all the widening of the roads, um, you know, widening 161 that comes in and out of Columbus from Licking County. Um, so I, I would imagine this time next year we'll have close to 10,000 tradespeople out there. Unbelievable. So when is the projected date for opening that Intel plant right now? Do you have a, do you have a time on that? I don't have a time on it. Um, I think that when the announcement was made last year, I think that they were hoping to be producing chips by quarter one of 26. I think that could still be a possibility. Um, you know, it's just hard to tell. You know, obviously with construction, a lot of things factor in. Um, it seems like one of the big issues at the time of the announcement um, was material supplies, and, and the material supply chain still hadn't recovered uh, from the pandemic. It seems like that that's recovering now. You know, basic things like plywood and two-by-fours and concrete and metal studs and, 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 uh, and, and roofing materials and drywall. You know, if you're doing anything around your house or if you're, you know, going out and visiting small commercial projects, it seems like all those basic materials building materials are starting to come down. So even though inflation is still going up when it comes to gas and food and things like that, it seems like it has stabilized and is, and is actually starting to come down a little bit on materials and materials are becoming more and more plentiful, which is really going to help us uh, to man up and, and to try to hit that, that date. So it'll be interesting to see, but uh, I think 2026 is a possibility. If it doesn't happen by 2026, um, I think that uh, that when it does open will be a good time. The thing that I'm really ecstatic about is is obviously when they made their announcement two years ago, uh, they were committed towards phase one, which was two fabs at about $20 billion. I think that once they get the workforce there and they get them entrenched, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Intel just rolls into a second phase and builds fab three and four too, which would be an additional $20 billion. So you'd be looking at about $40 billion worth of construction out there, especially once you know, the city of Columbus gets their water treatment plant built that's going to help that area. Uh, Intel builds their own on-site water treatment plant, plus they get their office building there, and they can add uh, internal staff 
and in everything they've done here locally with Columbus State and Ohio State and a lot of the local colleges and, um, you know, to get people interested in these jobs that are going to be manning these facilities, producing these chips. Many of these positions are going to be paying upwards of $125,000 a year. So I think that they're going to want to really ramp up and take uh, control of their investment. And it's very similar to what we saw in Arizona in the late 90s and early 2000s when they first broke ground out there in 96. And as everyone knows, that construction is still ongoing as they uh, they finalize some of the buildings and some of the uh, things that they're doing out there to, to complete the build out of their campus out there. Yeah, we're talking the Silicon Valley of the Midwest here when this is all complete. Just amazing. Let's uh, let's talk about this uh, community benefit agreement. And I know you've got really good relations with uh, the city government there as well as the state government. But talk to me about this. Uh, what is it? A senior center that's going to be under construction? Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, again, good timing. In a couple hours, I'll have my community benefit agreement meeting uh, down at the uh, that Columbus City Hall. It's chaired by uh, Council Member um, Rob Dorrance, who's also an IBW 683 member. Uh, the committee was formed by him, City Council, and also Mayor Ginther uh, with appointees from around the community. Nana Watson, a huge advocate for organized labor, sits on that board. She's the president of our Columbus NAACP. Um, there's folks from the mayor's office, Jason Jenkins, who's uh, chief uh, diversity and inclusion officer for Mayor Ginther. Uh, another ally of, of, of union labor, and then Jeff Huntley from the Sheet Metal Workers sits on that board as well. But um, they meet, they discuss projects uh, that are ripe for a community benefit agreement, uh, specifically ones that are in some of the Celebrate One neighborhoods. We've used the CBA on Linden uh, Rec Center, which was a tremendous job for the community. $32 million project finished on time, under budget, during the height of COVID, which was obviously very stressful times for construction projects and workers, but we were able to do it, and we were able to recruit a local and diverse workforce from directly inside uh, the neighborhood in the part of the city there, so that way folks that could see the project going up in their neighborhood could see people or even themselves working on that project, so it was reflective of the community, which is obviously what the building trades is all about. The mayor is continuing to step up through the CBA committee. His chief of staff, Ken Paul, a couple weeks ago, signed the uh, community benefit agreement for the Fran Ryan Center. It's a retirement center named after Fran Ryan, who served two stints on city council. She was elected back in the 70s, was a longtime council member, and then she filled in for a vacancy a couple years ago until they could elect another council member. She also ran for Congress, but very active uh, here in local politics, Um, still very active. I'm sure I'll see her next Tuesday at election night. But uh, a fitting uh, thing for somebody who was so active in the Democratic Party here locally and so pro-organized labor with her roots and her friendships with managers and agents and organizers and Central Labor Council leaders and building trades leaders from the 70s to today uh, to have this uh, senior center that she's advocated for to be built and to be built using 100% union labor, which will be reflective of a local and diverse workforce. I just love the way that sounds. 100% union labor. I like that a lot. And I know you do too. (laughs) These community benefit agreements, I mean, people build things and and they go up and they think, oh, this is a great building. But we have to think about the economic development behind them too and how they can benefit the community. And a lot of the stuff that we talked about with Intel and a lot of the things that Intel is doing and Bechtel is doing and that we're doing partnering with them and then with our Mayor Andrew Ginther, who's going to get reelected next Tuesday 
and our, our pro-labor city council, I think that we're really giving back to the community and we build these projects. It's not just brick and mortar and two-by-fours and drywall and roofs and sidewalks. It's, it's creating career pathways for folks that are making good union wages with benefits so they can provide for themselves and their family. You got it. Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. You can follow them on Twitter at Build Central OH. More to come from Dorsey later in the show. Fred Redman, Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. It's our first Friday with Fred. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Alliance for American Manufacturing is a nonprofit, nonpartisan partnership formed back in 2007 by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers. Their mission is simple strengthen American manufacturing and create new private sector jobs through smart public policies. Keyword there is smart. We need to be smarter than ever in today's highly competitive world. The Alliance for American Manufacturing believes that an innovative and growing manufacturing base is vital to America's economic and national security, as well as providing good jobs for future generations. Good jobs today, good jobs tomorrow. Good American jobs. Find out more at AmericanManufacturing.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers. Standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers. For more information, please visit bacweb.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. When you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. Always appreciate those five-star ratings. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers, oh.aft.org. Let's go back to our live line. Rejoin Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary, Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. Two topics I want to get into. Well, we got Election Day next Tuesday. I know you want to touch on that, but the resurgence of labor unions. Dorsey, I'll tell you, I've been doing this show for uh, 25 years, and you've seen some up and downs. You've seen what happened in the previous administration, the attack on labor, some states going right to work. Michigan, 
going back, you know, dumping right to work. A good thing happened there. But with the Teamsters, the UAW, the healthcare workers out west, I mean, things are happening. <laughs> I, I, know you, I know you like what's going on out there. I'd like to get your perspective. Go ahead. I have never seen a resurgence in the American labor movement like we have saw in the last 12 months. Uh, in my 30-year career, you know, I entered the apprenticeship in 1993. I became business manager in 2003, 10 years later. And 10 years ago, I became head of the Columbus Building Trade. And some of the things that I'm seeing on the national level, I mean, it may sound sappy, but but I mean it. It gives me hope, and, and it makes me excited to come to work every day when I see some of the things that the Teamsters have done in their negotiations and their bargaining. And it's not just the old-style bargaining from 40, 50, 60 years ago where we want this and you're going to give us this or we're going to go on strike. It's tactical. It's precise. It's educated. It's valid arguments. Going out and getting community support to support them. You know, it was just a little over a year ago here locally that CEA, uh, you know, my friends John Coniglio and Phil Hayes, who who lead the uh, Columbus Education Association, we're not only advocating for better pay and benefits for teachers and bus drivers and janitors and support staff and aides, but also they were advocating for the kids with more resources for like laptops and iPads and, and better, uh, better uses of the classrooms and the buildings to be able to teach and educate them and get them ready uh, for, for all the jobs that are coming here to Columbus and Central Ohio that are going to need uh, these Columbus City School students and also classrooms and, and, you know, replacing roofs and mechanical systems and air conditioning and efficient heat and everything. And, and we really created a partnership and worked with them and got out into the community and were able to educate the school board and the superintendent to get what was needed um, for these teachers and stuff. And I see this on a national level now. Um, I mean, you talk about some of these labor leaders right now Marty Walsh, who heads the NHLPA and was the former labor secretary, and Sean Fain, and, and just all these folks. I mean, 10, 20, 30 years from now, our children and our grandchildren are going to be reading about these folks, much in the way that we were educated on George Meany and Jimmy Hoffa. And they're going to be seeing what these people did to restore the American labor movement, especially against some of these terrible free trade agreements that happened in the, in the 90s and, and the uh, dissolving of uh of the strike with the the the, uh air traffic controllers in the 80s under reagan and i think that it's really making a turn and i think the biggest thing that we're doing is we're educating folks and i think that people out there actually care about their uh, about their fellow man their brother and their sister and they want everybody to do well i know we say this all the time here locally but if i see a school or a rec center or a community center going up like, I want that person that I see on Sunday mornings in church, or I want that person that coaches my kid's soccer game on the weekend, putting in those toilets, running that electric, insulating those pipes. I don't want to see somebody from out of state or somebody who's not making good wages and benefits doing that work. I want that person to be able to make good wages and benefits so they can, you know, send their kid to school right alongside of my kid so they can, uh, you know, be in the community and we can all share in the wealth. And I, I think that's what's happening. And I think people are starting to focus on that and seeing that labor unions surely uh, are a pack to the middle class. And the best part of it, too, and the data shows this, the, the big resurgence in unions is in young people, uh, 18, 24, 30 years of age, especially in the retail industry, Starbucks, Amazon warehouse, 
folks. I mean, they're, they're doing their best in, as far as organizing and making their cases before the media. So it's all good stuff, all good stuff. So bodes well for, for the years to come. All right, we got election day next uh, Tuesday. How do you feel? Uh, how do you feel about this one here, Dorsey? So I feel good here locally. Um, you know, I'm happy for my friend, Mayor Andrew J. Ginther. He's going to get reelected. I'm happy for Rob Dorns. He's going to get reelected. I'm very happy for Sarah Ingalls. The first time she's put her name on the ballot, she's going to get elected to Columbus City School Board. So I'm happy for her. She has huge ideas, things that she wants to do to, again, keep integrating organized labor with the Columbus City Schools and try to do more uh, so that it results in wins for the residents of the city of Columbus. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see how national polling and how, um, you know, some of the things uh, shake out in Kentucky and in Tennessee with the governor, the gubernatorial races, you know, so that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, you know, from a political standpoint, it's going to be interesting to see what happens here on the statewide level with issue one and issue two. And then one other local uh, issue that I'm really happy about, and I think they've rallied, and I'm hoping that they cross the finish line, is uh, issue 11 here locally, which is the Columbus City School Board levy. So I'm hoping that that does well as, as well. But uh, election night is always a fun time. Uh, me and a group of friends, local labor leaders here, uh, we go out and we have dinner at about 6 o'clock after poll standing most of the day. And then uh, we go to watch the returns around 8 o'clock. And hopefully around 10 or 10.30, we have a few celebratory uh, beverages before we go in the next morning and start it all over again. But it's always fun times here in Columbus, Central Ohio. And hopefully it's a celebratory time on Tuesday night as the results come in. I think it will be. We'll see. All right. Dorsey Hager, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council. Always enjoy talking to you, brother. ColumbusConstruction.org. You can follow them on Twitter at BuildCentralOH. You take care. We'll talk to you in a month, okay? Sounds good. I hope we get back to our winning ways and we thump the Cardinals on Sunday, Flash. So go Browns. Have a good weekend, and I'll see you in a month. You got it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Fred Redmond, Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. It's our first Friday with Fred, and he is coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. 
www.americanfederationofgovernmentemployees.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook, Google, and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, and exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF travel for more information. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. And remember this, too. If you like a show, share the show. We have exploded this year on America's Workforce. We're in the top 1% of all podcasts. Yeah, there's like 2 million podcasts out there, and we are somewhere in the top 8,000 to 10,000. And gain in steam. This was probably the biggest growth year for America's workforce. And there's good reason for it. People are getting pretty antsy about getting new contracts like the Teamsters, like the UAW, the healthcare workers. Organizing is going crazy right now. Let's go to our live line and talk about it with Fred Redman. He's a happy guy with what's happening in organized labor. Fred is the secretary treasurer of the AFL-CIO, AFLCIO.org. Now, we're not even done with the year yet, and uh, things have really been going in the right direction for workers, all workers. And, you know, the good thing about that, Fred, you know this, when union workers win, all workers win. I'd like to get your take on what's happened here in America. Go ahead, brother. Well, that's exactly right. First of all, it's good to be with you, Flash. And, you know, what we're seeing is a resurgence of the American labor movement where workers have decided to stand up and actually sharing the wealth that they helped to create. We saw a historic agreement signed with the big three automakers, um, you know, that um, provide those workers with increases under this contract that they have received in the last 20 years combined. Uh, you know, this is a historic moment, an unprecedented moment for workers where we are seeing that uh, workers are really standing up to corporate greed. Um, you know, we saw the big three. We uh, saw the UPS contract, which offered some unprecedented increases in wages and pensions. And then we go back to the auto workers contract, you know, to restore the cost of living so that the wages can keep up with inflation. We saw the Writers Guild really push back on artificial intelligence and you know, protected themselves against all the, uh, against, uh, 
AI, you know, really taking away their images, uh, taking away from their craft. And, uh, you know, any day now, we expect to deal with SAG after with the Screen Actors Guild. They're back at the table. They're making monumental progress. So what we are seeing here is the diligence of workers who are committed to standing up to corporate greed. And uh, this is a good moment for not just unions, but for workers throughout this country. It's funny you mentioned uh, SAG-AFTRA. I've been getting emails. That's my union. And, yeah, uh, right. And right. Uh, they've been saying that it, it's been pretty intense right now. They're going back and forth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we we might see something in the next couple of days on that. Yeah, one. we hope so. Uh, from what we understand through the calls that we've been having with the negotiating committee is that, um, you know, the uh, producers is – really, really taking these talks serious now. They see that uh, these workers aren't going to bag down. They're not going to go away. So, you know, over the last few months, uh, they have been recalcitrant, the producers, in terms of the, uh, you know, demands by the workers. But over the last couple of days, they seem to be taking these workers very serious and having some fruitful discussions that we hope lead to it agreement in the next couple of days yep this is very very interesting what's happened this year monumental is probably right. the best word to describe it and hopefully it'll continue i'm sure it will continue into the new year and you know next year is going to be a politically charged year as well right. so with that right. being said uh we have this new speaker in the house and uh i i don't know man fred <laughs> there's there's some well. strange there's some strange things going on especially on that package that they want for uh, Israel to take money away from the Inflation Reduction Act. I, I know there's a lot of people don't like, well, no, who wants to pay taxes? Okay. I mean, that's a buzzword. Let's be honest. I mean, the IRS, yeah. the IRS has been portrayed as the boogeyman, you know? I mean, it's pretty right. much, that's pretty much how the IRS has been. And people like that kind of stuff. So obviously they're going after the, uh, the funding there, which Here's the part that a lot of people don't understand. That the funding in the Inflation Reduction Act is is proving to bring a lot of money into the coffers because they're auditing the very very wealthy people and uh, they're bringing they're actually they're actually cutting the deficit by doing that. And isn't that what you're supposed to do <laughs> as well, a representative? Yeah, I mean, yeah, according to the Congressional Budget Office, it will cut the deficit by a significant amount of millions and billions of dollars, you know, after they go after taxes that should be paid, but it's not being paid because of billionaires using tax loopholes to avoid paying taxes. This is unprecedented where the United States have always responded to humanitarian needs. We always supported our uh, NATO allies and countries around the world during a humanitarian crisis and during times of war. And we have never offset it in the history of this country. We have never attempted to offset these humanitarian efforts by, uh, you know, pulling money away from other agencies here in the United States, especially the IRS. So, you know, this is unprecedented. We see a speaker that's trying to cater to the far right wing of his party. And, uh, you know, I appreciate 
uh, leader Schumer by saying that the bill is dead on arrival. So, you know, they, you know, they talk about giving all of this emergency aid as quickly as possible to Israel, which I think is the right thing to do. But these sort of tactics is just going to delay the process. And on top of it, they want to cut over a hundred billion dollars from the inflation reduction act to stop infrastructure projects. Why would yeah. you want to stop in? We need, we need to boost our infrastructure. We need to improve our infrastructure. I, I don't get yeah. it. And the other, yeah, the, by the way, those of you listening right now, go to the AFL CIO homepage because a lot of this is posted right there. AFL CIO.org. And it's a, it's an appeal to Congress. No cuts to family supporting programs. We urge you to say no to extreme budget cuts that could hurt our families. Here's another one. Um, 80% of the programs, they want to cut 80% of the programs that impact 26 million low-income students, which would slash 226,000 teacher positions. Fred, the last time I checked, we have a teacher shortage in this country, don't we? That's right. We have a teacher shortage in this country. And, um, you know, not only will this, you know, affect teachers, it will also affect students. It will also affect our most vulnerable uh, Americans that's living in rural America, uh, $6 billion will come from the agricultural funding bill uh, that's going to result in increased energy costs for small businesses, farms, and rural consumers. Um, you know, when we talk about uh, the education system, you know, I mean, under their proposal, we're talking about eliminating money from youth job training state grants uh, to the tune of $948 billion that would eliminate job training and employment services for over 128,000 young people, uh, eliminate funding for the Job Corps by $1.8 billion that would eliminate job training employment services for over 50,000 youths. And they're even talking about under their budget eliminate funding for the Senior Community Service Employment Program, a cut of $405 billion that would eliminate community services positions for over 40,000 low-wage seniors. So, you know, this is an equal opportunity budget that they're proposing that's going to affect everybody in, in, the, in, the, in the worst ways. And when we talk about education, I mean, you know, um, this budget that the Republicans is proposing will decimate support for children in K-12 elementary schools and early childhood education. They're proposing a cut of $750 million to Head Start programs that will result in roughly 82,000 children, children no longer able to participate in Head Start or early Head Start due to a lack of funding. They're talking about an 80% cut to Title I funding that would impact 26 million students in schools that teach low-income students by forcing a reduction of up to 226,000 teachers. So this is not only cruel, it's mean. It's the attack on the working class, an attack on the poor, the most vulnerable in our community, our uh, uh, seniors. And, uh, you know, Flash, I've never seen anything like this. But this is a budget that um, really, really is created to really attack 
And it's almost like declaring war on the working class and the poor, the most vulnerable in our communities. And this can't go through. So we have to ramp up our efforts to make sure that we will not see these sort of uh, attacks on working middle class and low-income Americans in our most vulnerable communities. Well, the good news, this is not going to go anywhere, especially in the Senate. So right. do, you see, do you see this pretty much as a stalemate right now? Whatever they do in the House is just not going to gain any traction, and we probably won't go anywhere going into next year. Isn't no, that going to be the I, case? I don't, right. I, I don't see this budget going anywhere. I think that this is a tactic to, uh, you know, take us up to the presidential election. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we'll be operating on continuing resolutions from now, uh, probably up until election, unless, uh, you know, a sense of urgency suddenly hit these people that the American people, you know, need to be treated with dignity and respect. And we have to respect the working class in this country. Unless that happens, then, you know, um, this budget isn't going anywhere and uh, we'll continue to be in a state of flux until we do what we do, and which is to, uh, you know, uh, really, really elect representatives that represent the majority of working class, not just working class citizens, but the citizens of this country. Like I said, this budget affects everybody, everybody yeah. who works for a living, the low income, and, uh, you know, we cannot sit back and allow this to happen. Yeah, we didn't even get to uh, Amtrak because they, they want to slash that by a billion dollars, which will eliminate about 10,000 jobs. About it's 10, just amazing. It, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It really is crazy here. Well, Fred, uh, I'm going to urge everybody here to uh, go to the AFL-CIO webpage, AFLCIO.org, and tell Congress, no cuts to family supporting programs. And that's what they are. They support that's our right. families. That's it. And we, uh, and thanks for doing that flash. And I would encourage everybody to take a look at the website. We broke this down to really, really uh, show the American people how these budgets is going to affect them and their family and their communities. So yep. stay tuned. Let's continue to fight and make sure that, uh, you know, these people go back to la la land. <laughs> and uh, next year we have to get up and do what we do and elect representatives that's going to represent us, the working class. Fred, they don't have to go back to La La Land. They are in La La Land. <laughs> well, right? you're right about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're right about that. So. Fred okay. Redmond, Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. You take care, brother. We'll talk to you next okay, month. Okay, you too. Okay, take care, Flash. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, former Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan will be joining us. Until then, all of you, have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.